0: and I don't care what business you're in. Yeah. Your staff cannot focus on every metric in the business. So you mm-hmm. have to pick the key ones. And it's funny, I was, I, there was a large um, company that I talked to about this product and they said that they had 1500 KPIs. <laughs> That's insane. You know, like- Wow. It's like- Yeah, it's so like,
1: which one do you even look at? It's
0: not a KPI. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> we have
1: 1500. That's crowd. a spreadsheet. Yeah.
0: Um, So we focused, uh, we figured out what the, what can we have them focus on? Because you Mm -hmm. can't have them focus on everything.
1: Welcome to Untested, where we sit down with product leaders to reflect on the key experiences that shaped their startup journeys. Today, Animesh sits down with Chris Nedza. Chris is the director of ATDC, the Georgia Tech startup incubator, where he uses his experience as a successful entrepreneur and community leader to give startups the tools they need to grow. In this episode, they chat about standardizing metrics across an organization, identifying the right time to jump into entrepreneurship, and the framework startups can use to answer the toughest questions they're facing today. With that, here's the pod. Welcome back to Untested, everyone. Um, today, I'm really excited to have someone I really look up to. He's uh, Chris Nedza. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, man, you look up to me. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like ever, ever since I've been able to join ATDC, it's, um, you know, just kind of seeing you move around and, and and seeing how you've changed the place in the last, especially year, I would say. It's been incredible.
0: And it's, uh, wow, that's an honor. Cause, uh, yeah. Cause Animesh, you are a rock star. Don't tell the rest of the CEOs I work yeah. with, but you're my favorite. We're, we're
1: publishing this. So yeah. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Get oh, man. Yeah. Well, um, Chris, can, can, you, can you give like a quick introduction for yourself? Just um, tell us a little bit about what you do at ATDC, and and uh, you know, yeah, let's let's start. There.
0: All right. Well, um, yeah. I guess first I, I got to ATDC because I have started um, creative companies, you know, raised capital, scaled them, um, and exited a couple different times, and uh, so ATDC is is really it's a it's a technology um, business development center if you want um for the state of georgia yeah so what we wanted to do is we want to we want to recruit companies and scale technology jobs in georgia so we're funded by the state of georgia but we are part of georgia tech and so what i do is i i lead a team of um they're called entrepreneurs and residents and investor relations and industry relations people but we're really consultants and we we assess where a startup is and we advise them and we connect them into Capital customers um, and talent.
1: Capital. Customers, so that's what I do, and, man. And talent. No, that sounds great. <laughs> and and, and, and a, what what do you specifically do here? Uh, You're the director of the whole shebang, right?
0: No, no, I'm not actually <laughs> not the director of the whole shebang. Um, John Avery is yeah. the uh, is the general manager executive director, and okay. so i i lead I lead the um, signature companies, and my team leads the signature companies, and we're basically consultants for the signature companies, but what the heck is a signature company? They're the companies that are scaling. Mm-hmm. So we have three levels of companies. There's the, Hey, I've got this idea for an app, but I don't know what to do. And those would be an educate type of a organization. Um, and then once they start, you know, raising their, they, they leave their job and they mortgage their house and they tell their husband or wife, <laughs> or their sister, Hey man, guess what? I'm going to be the CEO of a startup. That's a, that would be an accelerate company. And then gotcha. finally, when they start making making it and uh raise Mm -hmm. capital and they're starting to scale they've got product market fit then they can apply to become a signature company so my team leads and um advises and connects those signature companies
1: gotcha gotcha so what kind of another way to think about atdc and its scope for for i guess people who aren't here in atlanta would be kind of apt to say we're kind of a yc um equivalent here in atlanta
0: a yc equivalent sort of except for yc is is a cohort Mm -hmm. based you know they have these companies they come in and they they leave better but Mm -hmm. they're that's their goal i think but it's a three month kind of a six month kind of a thing our companies can be here for a couple of years gotcha so it's there's no cohort and they're all on different you know similar paths but different stages of their maturity of a business. So we are not cohort based. You can come and hang out as long as you're improving and growing and we can help you. It's all good.
1: That's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, I've, I've had the kind of unique opportunity to grow up around this community. And it's, it's been That's really right. cool. Like,
0: a, like how old were you when you first came here? Cause your dad was, was at an ATDC company. Yeah. It still does as a matter of another one.
1: Yeah. I yeah, started how another old one. Were now. You yeah. When
0: you first um I think got I got yelled at from running for running around the halls.
1: <laughs> I think I think it was um, early middle school. So it was like sixth or seventh grade, oh, um, man. maybe even before that, actually, um, because before that they were they were in my basement um, for almost four or five years, um, and this was the first office that they moved into.
0: Um, early middle school.
1: Early middle school. Running around these halls. It was it was the time of my life. Um, just like watching people all around me. Just building companies
0: do you realize how how blessed you are for that to oh happen God, it's man incredible. that's like like i wonder why more kids aren't running around here you know like i'm not it, sure
1: why yeah. yeah yeah maybe we need more donuts up front but yeah. you know
0: <laughs> you did the same thing with my kids you know like i think i brought i landed ups as a as a major customer one time for my one of my first companies yeah and i had um i had like eight of their executives in the room and i brought my i think he was probably six or seven year old son and I brought him into the meeting. I, you wow. know, yeah, he was good. He, you know, he didn't, Wow did
1: he, did he participate or was he, was he listening?
0: Oh, he was wide eyed, man. Holy and, crap. Of course, uh, of That's course crazy. Now he's like a, you know.
1: Yeah. No, I, ahead. I remember, uh, I did this short summer internship, um, at vendor mate. So that was, that was my dad's company and they were preparing for a board meeting, um, with their first kind of real board. So this was, uh, uh, I, I think after they'd raised their first private equity round and, you know, it was, it was, a serious company at this time, I think 2011, 2012, right around that time. And they were, they were preparing for it. And I was sitting down with the CEO and, and he needed to get all these slides together um, kind of like a couple of weeks before. Um, and I got to sit in on that and, and watch him practice for for this board meeting and just the rigor and the discipline behind it. It was something that i don't think you can replicate really anywhere in this world. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't even know. I, I, I'm, I've never been to like business school or anything, but I don't even know if you could get that there. There's nothing like being in it.
0: You're bringing me back to like the days when I, my kids were growing up and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, as a young dad, I was like, you know, like I can ask my kids how little he is or whatever, but I decided early on that when they were, Literally, elementary school, yeah. they, they knew what profit, loss, and break even was mm-hmm. you know they knew who Warren Buffett was, they knew the price <laughs> of you know Berkshire Hathaway stock yeah. um I didn't want them to know who the president, you know they, it, like if you ask a little kid who the president, who do you know is president? they would always go, uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and whoever may be president, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's like who's the vice president, who's the Secretary of State, who was before yeah. you know who are Bush or whatever, who was before that? Who's before that? And yeah. and so we always had these discussions around the dinner table. I had four sons, I still do, but um added a couple. But um <laughs> I think that's yeah. I don't know what this audience would get from it. But if you're a dad, man, talk about stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well I, I think the biggest takeaway for me was kind of watching uh Mr. Andy Monan and and my dad together kind of build Venomate early on I, I learned the value of, you know, like what is and isn't money. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think in, in sometimes, and this is, I think, especially true in immigrant families, but we, we tend to have a very special definition of what money is, right? It tends to be this thing that you you keep and you store, right? And, and right. <laughs> watching a startup, it's very different, right? Like it's, it's the velocity of it and, and how you deploy it and who you deploy it with and um, what value you create that ends up becoming the, the kind of central thesis, right? Of like what you're really doing with your time. And that's the other piece, right? Which is, I, I, I think I learned the value of time as well um, by having these conversations and, and watching a startup grow. Um, and hey, now, so, now that so, I to do this myself, it's, it's all kind of coming back.
0: So tell me about that for a second. I mean, the, what you said was, you think that um, being in an immigrant family, yeah, you treat or think about money differently. Yeah. What what, what what do you mean by that? Uh, that's a good question. So now, I've, now the interviewee has. Yeah, been no, we've, we've turned. But now, it's interesting. I mean, like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, you know, there's there's this like very traditional like immigrant story. I, I think my my dad has something similar that he could tell you. Um, every single family friend I have will tell you something similar. Where it's the I came to America with two hundred dollars in my pocket. Yep. Right. Um, and kind of the history of of these families, kind of generationally before they came here, was always kind of living on on little. Um, they live very happy lives, but it's very different. Um, where you know we're we're not talking in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in savings. We're talking about in you know maybe the the the, the average income in India is probably in, in the thousands of dollars right per year, um, and so the the lifestyles there look very different and the way people save and the way people you know think about deploying money for themselves is is different um it it actually kind of reflects in i think some of the very core economic kind of dynamics of, of places like india where you know people don't like taking loans because it means you're indebted to someone right debt is a very fundamental part of of the american economy it's not a very fundamental part of you know, the personal economy in, in India. Um, and it goes down to the kind of relationship that I think people have with, with money. Um, now I think when you come here, what's really different is I think failure is one of these things that people don't really take that seriously, which is incredible, right? I mean, it's something that you can, you can, you can get up, you can try something, you can do your best fall down and, um, you know, in the end, your butt's only like that far off the ground, so you can stand back up and, and do it again, right? Um, and so it's not something where you're like screwing your family for, you know, the next five generations. It's, you know, kind of localized to you. There's there's definitely still a value to money, right? I mean, I, I don't think that's necessarily, um, right? I'm, I'm not trying to argue that the fact that, that, I'm not trying to argue that money doesn't have value, right? I mean, if, if people are betting on you, right, that's that's about the relationship. Yeah. Right. less than it is actually even about the money in a way right that's like the way people, i look at it there, there's, too there's, by there's the way are, i agree with you yeah there's there's people who are betting their their hard-earned dollars on you know what you can do for the world um and and that's a relationship that i take extremely seriously mm. um because that's also a really special thing right yeah. and it has nothing to do with the country or the race or whatever right? yeah. it just has to do with two people um yeah. but you know i, th- I think the like if we, if we think about all the different ways that capital is is raised, right? I mean, if we kind of think really old timey, it used to be your own savings, right? And, you know, we, we were lucky enough to kind of get venture funding. And venture funding is, I think, on, on one of the opposite sides of that risk spectrum where you're not taking on this kind of institutional family risk, right? I'm not, like my future kids are not necessarily going to be you know, at, at, at risk because of, you know, the outcome yeah. in a positive or a negative way um, for, right. for player zero. And, you know, I, th- I think today most companies fall somewhere in between in the amount of risk that the early founders and the early team have to take. Um, but I think India now is, is just getting to the place where founders can actually contemplate this world where I'm not putting the next five generations in, in kind of, you know, the line of fire, for me, starting this one company today, right, and contemplating that sort of risk—I mean, I don't think you and I have ever had to do it, right?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, by the way, my uh, my family was from Poland. <laughs> yeah, there you
1: go. <laughs> is, is is it similar there? I mean, like, is uh, I, th- I think uh, immigrant families from all over share like a similar yeah, my
0: my story. My, uh, my grandparents, you know, they were you know, had it, they were immigrants, but they were very blue collar. Uh, they Pinched, I mean, I think my grandmother, they had a very small house and they rented out the attic and the basement yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, they had kids as well, you yeah. know, um, cause it was all about trying to make sure that you could survive and, and, uh, you know, earn enough to really just survive. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were entrepreneurial in that sense, but the whole notion of being—I mean—a millionaire. Ooh,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's not even the goal, right? It's—it's it's yeah. just you know, can I yeah. can I get food on the table? Right. It, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah exactly. Yeah. Very, very different mindset. Um, you know, you you, you mentioned Zizor. I, I think that that I'd love to talk about that a little bit and kind of open sure. that can of worms. You know, what was the inspiration behind starting Zizor, and and what was it really about? Maybe we start there.
0: Yeah, you know, it was my wife had um, a chain of hair salons. And while she had that, I had uh, previous to my first company I had sold, it was a warehousing distribution business. Mm -hmm. And and that business was really complicated, seems really simple, but every month (laughs) I got, you know, the end of the month financial statements and, and, um, which were never done at the end of the month. It's like you get the binder from the CFO and there it's, it's four inches thick. And you look at how you did the previous month and review what happened and what the, what the problems were. And, and, you know, the end of the month is at the end of the month, yet it would take a couple of weeks to gather the data. You know, get all the invoices closed out and billings out and, you, you know, get all that stuff done. Yeah. And then it's a forensic experience, experiment, figure out, well, why did we make all this money or why did we lose this money? You know, yeah. it was very frustrating for me because. And so
1: at that point, you're already a couple of weeks. Behind. Yeah. But what are you going to do yeah. about
0: it? The body's dead. You know, yeah. like I, I, I needed to have information as quickly as possible. Yeah. But the business was so complicated. I had so many different uh, workplaces, uh, work, you know, the key in that business is to match. And I guess in any business is to match the workforce to the workload. That yeah. is not an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if you can manage that properly, you make profit. So I knew if our our um, labor percentage was, you know, below 40% or 30% or whatever that number was back then, I knew that we were making money. Mm-hmm. But dang, trying to capture the data to figure that out, uh, or a KPI to figure that out in any kind of realistic time to make it no. to make a decision to change that. No. Oh crap, we got too many people working here today. Uh, we need to downsize. We got too many people working. Period. Mm-hmm. It was impossible to do, and with any. So I was always looking for key performance indicators that told me the health of my business right then and there. Got it. So it, it was really difficult to do. And I built all kinds of things to do. And I, I finally landed on one or two things, but it was very, very difficult to capture the data. Um, and when I sold that business, like, you know, sitting around and, and I was listening to my wife um, and her general manager, you know, she had, a, I think, about 40 locations. Mm. So it's a lot of, a lot of different locations. Yeah. And every morning her general manager would produce a uh, spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet would go over all the numbers for the previous days. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. So they they didn't know. The spreadsheet didn't have operating expenses like rent, utilities, but it had everything else. It had sales, labor, product sales, number of haircuts. It had all the KPIs yeah. because they were getting the data from the point of sale system, which is the cash register. It's, ca- it's capturing this all day, every day. Gotcha but they still had to go into the central database and extract that data, you know, CSV file, upload it into Excel, do some macros, you know, and produce Mm -hmm. these reports. And, um, and I'm like, okay, that's way better than what I had and way faster. But I'm like, there's this thing called the iPhone. (laughs) Why don't I build an (laughs) extraction tool and pump up, pump it up in, uh, in, uh, Push it up into my phone yeah. so i knew the kpis much like the stock market you know report so yeah. i could see the A
1: real-time indication real-time near real-time time.
0: okay yeah. you know Close it wasn't time. six weeks out it was maybe six minutes out you yeah. know so that's that's yeah. what i did was i built this this application called Zor, and it stood for franchisee and franchisor because we were franchisees of great clips who was the franchisor so that's where I came up with the name ZZOR. Gotcha. Each one of these organizations, franchisees have a profit motive and it is not the same as the franchisor. So the franchisor has a profit motive too, but how they derive their profits are completely, can be, and are a lot of times are completely different. So for instance, a franchisor derives their profit off of gross sales. You know, a franchisee, derives their profit off of sales less expenses, you know, because we're paying a franchise fee. So gotcha. if our sales go up, that's great. But they can, a franchisor can do a, a deep discount sale and it does drive our total sales up, but we're losing our butt because it's at a price point that we can't make money on. <laughs> so I built the tool specifically to know what was going on without running a report in near real time. And, and consolidated all my locations. That's what Zizor started off as for gotcha. our own little say, our hair salons.
1: Gotcha. So you really built it for yourself and you're really yeah. kind of dog food it the whole way.
0: Well, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, we're paying our general manager, you know, I don't know what it was, over 100000 a year, maybe 125 150 or something. Mm-hmm. And she's spending about three hours a day building this report every day. And I'm like, well, let's just say she works eight hours a day how much is it costing me for her to build these reports? Not only that she's building reports. And what I really needed her to do was to coach our people in the salons, like get yeah. out from behind the desk and go, you know, coach, coach. Yeah. So I thought about it. I'm like, this is the dumbest waste of money in my life I've ever. seen. <laughs> is it possible? So we built, that's why I built the tool and it worked out great. And, um, and then it just took off in the hair salon industry. And, um, and Ultimately I sold it to Vista Private Equity on March the 2nd, 2020. <laughs> money went in the bank. <laughs>
1: there you go. There you go. That's a nice little conclusion there, but I mean, what is the what, what was that kind of user journey like? Like how did you learn about kind of the ins and outs of what that general manager was really going through? And then was that kind of the, was that the only user of, of your guys' product?
0: Well, the original thing was, I just want to get my data fast. Then yeah. I realized, hmm, if we if we focused on, you know, your staff cannot, and I don't care what business you're in, yeah. your staff cannot focus on every metric in the business. So you mm-hmm. have to pick the key ones. And it's funny, I, was, I there was a large um, company that I talked to about this product and they said that they had 1500 KPIs. <laughs>
1: Jeez. That's insane. You know, like, wow, it's like, yeah, it's like, which one do you even look at? It's not a KPI. <laughs> it's like have 1, That's crowd. a spreadsheet. Yeah.
0: Um, so we focused, uh, we figured yeah. out what the, what can we have them focus on? Because you mm-hmm. can't have them focus on everything. So what are the things that you can have them focus on? Yep. What's really important to, to drive in your business? And let's everybody focus on the two or three or four, maybe five. KPIs. So we built these KPIs, and it's like, well, if you started giving hairstylists, and there's nothing against hairstylists. Well, one of my sons is a hairstylist, but they're not exactly the kids that did well in math in school. They were the artistic mm-hmm. people, you know. Um, they have a creative brain, the creative thinking. And if you sat down, if we sat down with them and started going over the numbers, their eyes would glaze over. So, how do you make it that? you've got this, these numbers and these key performance indicators driving the business. How do you get them? The people that actually matter are the people that are running your business. They're the, they're the hairstylists. How do you get them fired up to run your business? And that's, we ended up putting it in their hands and we, we, we didn't focus on the numbers. We focused on two colors and you know, nothing about the business, but there were two colors. Your numbers were either red Mm -hmm. on a mesh you're not a hairstylist but is red good
1: absolutely not no
0: (laughs) there you go or what's the other color that could be good yeah green so our numbers were based on red and green and it's get to green as fast as you can they all under they got that like completely Mm -hmm. and then that's what happened is we we used the data instead of like using the reports generally are to correct problems hey what's the problem in the business let's go fix it but we use this data instead to correct or to catch people doing the right behavior so we ended up where it started off as a reporting tool it ended up connect- connecting the heart to the data the heart of the people to the data and it was lightning in a bottle
1: wow and that's that's such a nuanced human problem right i mean it's, it's it's solved with data but there's there's such nuance to kind of understanding the scope of what this really means for kind of the hair salon industry
0: any industry if you think about it right yeah yeah but for us it was yeah it was huge you know
1: well no 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 like, I, I guess i guess what i meant by like nuance is like there's like there, there, there are certain details that you mentioned there of of you know like how the hairstylists didn't understand the business the same way that the general managers understood the business, and right? they didn't want to. It's, why? Why would yeah, they?
0: they they've, exactly. got, they've got kids who are sick. They've got yeah. you know. They've got problems at home. They've got yeah. you know. Like everybody, right?
1: Well, I mean, and, and then after that, like realizing that difference, and then after that, then trying to figure out a way to align the interest in a in a more meaningful, actionable way, right? And and, and by the way, when you left Zizor, what was the like? How many people did you have on the team? I think we had six. Six. Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. No. This is tiny but mighty. Right. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had we had five hundred employees in the hair salon. You know, I had a couple. Like (laughs) like I I I figured out early on when I started Zizor that um, I wanted to automate everything, and the only thing I wanted people for were the things that only people could do. That's awesome. So yeah, it was very efficient, very, very lean.
1: And 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 for this this group of six people, how, how did you get? Were they, were they all kind of uh, ex-hair salon, hair industry? No,
0: uh, no, they were not. Yeah. They were software developers.
1: Software developers. Yeah. Um, there's this wave that I think a lot of our customers ride, right? Where it's this this thesis that if you can bring the people who are building your product. Um, so this goes for the actual core engineers, the designers, the product managers, Right, if you can get the people who are actually building the product and get them to empathize with your customer and the really kind of deep core pain point,
0: dude. I, right, there's. I love what you happens. just said because I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like, yeah. you know, how did I do it? Well, we identified the pain, yeah. and that's exactly yeah. what you just said—the pain point. I knew the pain that these salon owners were having, yeah, and I knew the pain right. that these you know, the employees were having and my team and my enthusiasm was like, they, like, it was, it was like, man, this is good. It's so painful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just like you said. And I think your product does that. Your product solves a huge pain, pain point, like Mm -hmm. a huge pain point, man. I love your product. (laughs) I wish it was around when I had my little company, but
1: yeah, no, maybe, maybe, maybe for your next one, you know. Definitely we'll, for my next, uh, well, for my next one, whatever customer. that may yeah. be.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we use the data. We enabled the, I gave the, the CEOs, the owners, um, leadership, the ability to know who was doing well. And, and within a few seconds, you could just go, hey, I noticed that you did as well. Um, and, I, and thank you. You didn't have to know whether their attendance was good. You didn't have to know whether they were dressed properly. You could find a metric and say, "Wow, you did." I I noticed that, and what it does to the psyche of that person is incredible. It's uplifting. You you, you
1: entirely just flip the conversation, right? So now it's it's less about trying to mitigate bad behavior and trying to promote good behavior. Yeah. Right. Just align in positive the way that it needs to be.
0: Here's a metric that's important. I noticed that you're doing it. And yeah. Thank you. Like you're doing better than everybody else. Or you are you were number 900 in our list of 900 employees last week. And now you're number 800. 800 sucks. But let me tell you something. That's huge progress. Yeah, I'd love for everybody to move up 100 points, you know? Yeah. So, and how Very many CEOs do that or leadership people do that? How many of them take the time? They don't have the data to, they don't know how to do that. And it, you don't have to say that to every person. Yeah. And most people will go, "Oh, we'll just build the app so that it will say it." That there's it doesn't have the human connection. Very interesting. The human connection is so important. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you know what's really interesting about what you were able to achieve from just kind of a company perspective in this particular feature, you were able to kind of change this. What used to be a cost center for these hair salons. Yeah. And 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 turn that into a growth driver. Right. And 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 the way I think people buy products in each of these categories are very, very different. You know, like as, as a cost center, you're, you're buying an insurance policy, right? So it's like, all right, how did I do last mm-hmm. quarter? Right. And I need to know that so I can go report it to my superiors. Right. Like it's something that you kind of have to do and, and you're willing to spend to a specific degree for getting that done. But it's not really something that you're buying to help make you win. Right. And somehow what you did was you kind of took that data and, and adjusted it and, and made it actionable yeah. and made it something that, you know, now instead of just saying, Hey, this is just going to be my spreadsheet, instead, this is something that I can show and drive growth for my business instead. It's a hard exactly thing to right. do.
0: It, it, it seems so simple and so easy. It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why don't more organizations operate like that? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. And one of the things I love about your product, <clears throat> about what you guys are doing is, man, you solve such a pain, but how do you, what are the metrics that you can connect to in for software development teams or, you know, engineering teams, you know, like cutting more hair, doing more haircuts is something I can say, wow, you did more than anybody else, Mm -hmm. or you sold more shampoo bottles or you had a higher average ticket or all that kind of stuff. How do you, how do you do that with engineering teams? You can't say, wow, you're great. You did more lines of code than anybody else. Well,
1: (laughs) well, (laughs) I I, I think the answer is actually very similar, right? You, you make it about the customer. Right. You make it about what the the organization's really about, right? Which is solving the customer pain point by means of the product. Right. Um and, and I think what's happened a lot is for But your for-
0: product does that, right? Yeah. I I know. I love your product. Um man, it's just I don't man, it's so good. But how do you tie that to a metric to engage more of your customers to use it? Because the more who are using it, the better they're gonna I mean, it just solves an incredible pain point for people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, we, yeah. We, we, th- th- and I think that's like one of the things that we've been really excited about too, where it's, our, our, our product is essentially trying to talk in the language of the business, right? Trying to find the impact of the things that are happening on the product engineering side, except articulate that according to what it actually means for the rest of the business. All
0: right, right? so like anybody listening to this, they're probably yeah. going like, well, what the heck is the product? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, when, when you kind of strip away all the, all, all the bells and the whistles and stuff like that, like what Player Zero is really about is helping product teams figure out the impact of the incidents that are happening every single day, right? So you have a product and engineering team and chances are things are breaking all the time, right? Just kind of, by like if you build something, it's it's bound to break at some point, right? And, and and a good chunk of kind of engineering and product time is spent dealing with those incidents. And what Player Zero is really about is kind of aligning the all the conversations that are happening on that side of the business and connecting it to your customer, connecting it to the revenue, connecting it to the product, right? Connecting it to the real pain point that you're really trying to solve right so when an incident happens right rather than saying like oh hey this error is happening right and like you know run around with your, your hair on fire instead what we're able to do in a really meaningful way is say hey you have these three really high value contracts right that are bringing in maybe 200k of revenue for you and you've had a couple users run into this particular incident in the last couple hours go reach out to them right here's here's what they did Here's their, they were unable to complete the onboarding or they were unable to, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, update right, their so, profile or whatever, right? But go reach out to them, right? Manage so, the relationship.
0: So, um, Animesh, um, here's what I thought your your product could do for me. Yeah. Well, we had, we had ZZor, It was a mobile app. It was yeah. mobile first. Yep. Awesome. Occasionally, um, you know, we also, we'd have problems, you know, like. And we do have support tickets. So if there's anybody that had a problem, they just click on our little icon, yeah. you know, uh, help me. And, and they would fill out a support ticket mm-hmm. and it would we would go, uh, I don't know, what do we use? Zendesk probably. no, Probably Zendesk. Uh, for, Jira, Zendesk. Is it yeah. Zendesk? Yeah. So
1: Zendesk is like the customer success side of Jira. Yeah, I
0: yeah, think. yeah. So we'd yeah. use Zendesk. And um, they'd fill it out. And, and every day that, that little trouble ticket would go to, you know, some little engineering people. Yeah. Sorry, not little engineering people there.
1: No, yeah.
0: <laughs> my awesome team. But, um, but it would go to them, Sorry, and then, then have that list and go fix those yeah. problems, right? Yeah. Okay, if I would have had your product, it would have given me first of all, we would have not had to go figure out because what we're relying on is the customer going like, hey, my login didn't work, exactly, and then we got to go research and figure out what the heck this. in it, you know, half the time it was user error. You know, mm-hmm. but actually I wouldn't have to predict a few times with user error. But we sit there and research it, right? But what your tool would have done is they wouldn't have had to fill it out, yep. like the support ticket. It would have given me the problem and the code and the user incidents, all packaged up going right to the engineering yep. team. Bam. Yep. Like that would be would have been amazing. We would have spent no time fixing and, and the other thing that your your tool does is you give me the ability to see which are the problems that are going. It's, it's like a Pareto chart. Here are the 80%, 80% of the problems that are coming from 20% of the issues, or here are the, here are the 20% of the problems that are causing 80% of you to lose your customers or whatever, exactly. right? That is incredibly valuable. I wish I would have had that tool. And we spent so much time fricking researching the customer support calls and the customer support trouble tickets that were so, Mm. you know, we could direct them to the learning center. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love this product, man. I I wish I would have had it.
1: No, it was, it it was actually um, in in very, in a lot of ways, similar to um, your story of how you ended up starting Zizor. We ended up kind of building this by watching what really successful product teams did. Right, and it was just what is their process for answering these these very fundamental kind of meta questions of is this problem important, right? What's breaking in in my product today, right? Is this something that I should fix right now or do it in a week? Yeah, because right. our, are... te-
0: our team would sit there and um we would just answer all the problems. And now yeah. a, a big problem that would get fixed right away is if it was from a big customer. Yep, and so. our support team was smart enough to know if it was a big customer, and so yep. that one got done. Yep. But but. Player Zero would have actually lined it up ahead of us.
1: Exactly. Uh, So So it it becomes a proactive. Yeah, it's
0: proactive. It's intentionality of fixing these problems, not just the known ones, but the unknown ones. You know.
1: Well, part part of the reason actually, I mentioned the comment of going from this cost center to something that becomes this growth engine for you, right? Is something that I think there's a lot of SaaS companies in this world who you know kind of struggle with something similar. We we had a similar journey with this too. Right, where fixing bugs, right, God. dealing with incidents is a cost center fundamentally. Yeah. Right, but the reason we do it is because it, it affects our retention. Right. It it, it fundamentally affects how efficient well, it, our business. it affects is your how customer how... retention, our... right? Exactly.
0: But it doesn't. Exactly. Do you think it also has an impact on what what engineer out there loves to fix bugs? Nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody right? does. Because yeah. you got to go research what yeah. the guy before yeah. you did. And- I mean p-
1: part of like doing this really well is actually just the ability to say no, right? And have the data to say this is actually not that important right now. Yeah. Right. Because we have, you know, two free customers that ran into this versus this other thing where, you know, three of our biggest contracts are running into it. Yeah. Right. And if you can have all that data up front and be able to put them side by side and 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 prioritize that way, you end up making much better decisions about how time is spent for
0: your yeah. your team I love that I love that product
1: thank you, you, thank you. We're, we're we're excited about it too so <laughs> i'm I'm curious like I mean what are the what are the trends now when you're looking at ATDC companies though the ones that you get to work really closely with um you know what what is the how how are these companies being built differently um, than your time being um, Kind of at the helm of of ZZor. Um, you know, like now that you're kind of out of the operator role.
0: Yeah, so good question. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I, what I will tell you is, um, business tends to operate on trends, you know, and buzzwords. Yeah. You know, so back in the day, it was like, um, you know, you you were considered smart or leading edge if you knew what HTML and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> CS- <laughs> CSS. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And then, I don't know. And now it's, and then, and then it was ML, 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 ML. Yeah. So guess what today's word is AI,
1: it's AI.
0: <laughs> you AI. know, and it's chat GPT. And yeah. Um,
1: what, what, what are your thoughts on that actually? Is, is it, do you think that there's, a, how much value do you think there really is? That's going to come out of this kind of way because I, so some things are, I think just fundamentally bubbles, but here, honestly, I, I think there's, there's a lot of good that can come out of this.
0: Well, I mean, so there are a lot of people that are way smarter than me about this stuff. Um, but my take on it is, uh, we are, we're absolutely in the, uh, in the early stage of a major revolution. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, and they, they, they used to say that, um, information was the oil of this, of this generation, you know, in terms of, but, or data, but it was information and it's how Mm -hmm. to use the information. Now this the whole AI move and what you know what Chat GPT showed is we're not there yet. You mm-hmm. know, like we're just not quite there. But man, we are hypercharged. I mean, like like the rocket's been lit. Yeah. Like it's going. Yeah. Um people I don't believe people are gonna build competitive products to, you know, you know, Microsoft's gonna have theirs and Google's gonna have theirs and you know it it's they're all going to have this product, but the question is, is like that to me, that's the highway and the money is to be made on what, on the exit ramps, Yeah, you know, on all the McDonald's and all this. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. how are people going to use those tools, mm-hmm. the engines that were built, the chat GPTs and stuff, yeah. how are they going to use those to deploy that technology in an innovative way? Like
1: well, what are the what, harvest? What, what, what I think, is really interesting especially in these last couple months is i've realized chat gpt the its biggest contribution to the world was that it made this level of ai accessible to everyone in the world because this technology has actually been out there for for a, a couple years time. yeah it's it's it, like, at least two or three years it's been out mm-hmm. there in the open but the way they packaged it the way they got it to market and the way the, the way that People in the world have been able to understand what this could be doing. It's kind of opened up everyone's mind to those exit ramps.
0: Think about what is exi- right? exit ramps, but think yeah. about what it's going to do to education. Yeah. So yeah, you know, for better I mean, for
1: worse. I mean, uh, I could I can definitely think of the number of essays that I would have probably asked chat ChatGPT right to, I, to I write, mean, write for myself. But
0: <laughs> you know, my my uh, my kids, you know, my youngest kids, right? Yeah. They, they're going to be. Telling their kids one day, you know, I used to actually have to research <laughs> and think about what this question meant, and you know, dig in and yeah. and Google stuff, and yeah, and their gen the next generation is going to be like, well, what are you doing that for? I mean, is it? I don't know.
1: Well, that th- that brings up an interesting question. Like, what do you think is going to become valuable, right? Like, what what is the um.
0: It's the exit ramps. It's
1: the- well. So th- th- I think that's from like a company building perspective, but I'm thinking more from like a, a, a skills perspective, right? Writing might actually be devalued a little bit, right? Because now it's you can get to maybe the eighty percent right, the eighty percent mark for most of the writing that we end up doing in our lives, using just this automated tool like this.
0: Yeah, like communication, no, I,
1: right? Like where where is the? I don't the know. I, I don't know,
0: that? but I, I mean, here's a great yeah. example. Um, it, the tool's available. Okay. I was in uh, I was talking to my sister-in-law who's in yeah. the real estate business.
1: Yeah.
0: I was talking about chat GPT yeah. and yeah. she has a blog and she has, you know, and um, it's a real pain for her to do the blog. And I'm like, well, why don't you just come up with 12 topics and say, Hey, chat GPT, right. Um, the reasons to come to Scottsdale, Arizona, you know, yeah. give me five reasons to come. And so, and boom, it's done <clears throat> in a matter of seconds. Yeah. But it's that creativity to th- sit there and think, how am I going to use this and deploy it mm-hmm. efficiently? You can't, I mean, yeah. it's, and then there's a whole bunch yeah. of other people that are out there that are going to go, gosh, uh, that was really creative. It, now she still has to think of the, the yeah. 12 topics. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it, it's just going to redefine value in the role. Yeah. Right. Because it's now, Less about the execution of that article itself, and more about how do you, you know, get it to strike the right heartstrings. Yeah, we're, right? we've how launched you...
0: Brazelton Tech up yeah. in Brazelton, yeah. and you know, we, we're starting to have companies come out and, and investors come out, and yeah. and we want to continue to promote and brand, you know, and brand it. Well, I'm I'm meeting with a high school principal next yeah. week, and yeah. we're going to give the topics to the high school class and let them go you know, use chat GPT or whatever they want to use, write the articles. You're still going to have to research a little bit. Yeah. Because it's not totally accurate on everything. Yeah. Like if I said, give me the teams, give me the companies that graduated from ATDC last year, or, you know, uh, or just give me the, give me an include, you know, write an article about ATDC or Braselton tech and tell me the companies that, that have graduated and what they're worth. That's That's what you could do in there, but it's not going to give you everything. It's going to, it, the facts are made. so you're still gonna have to do a little bit of research, still gonna yeah. have to. It's gonna take a human, I believe, to go through. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No, that makes sense, but the grammatically, you know, the voice, yeah. the, the grammar I mean, it's like it's totally well, spot it, up.
1: yeah, it made natural language an accessible medium for computers, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's the that's probably the simplest way to think, like that. I think about it because. In the end, right? Like these are just they're these are language models, right? Like LLMs is what they're called, like large language models, and they're essentially just really good encodings of the English language. It has no kind of memory whatsoever of right, or it, it has no conception of reality or not reality. Like everything's just kind of hallucinated. I think is the word people use these days to kind of talk about, you know, what the output of ChatGPT is. But I, I think the real power of this is going to be figuring out what data to connect it to, right? There, I think there's a lot of fundamental knowledge work that ends up happening in a company every day, right? At the end of a meeting, right? Synthesizing the notes, right? And saying, hey, here are the three or four things that need to happen, right? Incredible yeah. value and, and something that basic. God, I mean, think right?
0: about it. I mean, that, that's a really good point. Yeah, It, it, it connects into data, right? Yep. Well, you know, the old saying, garbage in, garbage out, which is so ugh, horrible to say, but
1: no, and I think it's one thing very I, much accurate in this, in this context. It
0: totally is. But yeah. one thing I learned about when with ZZOR is we yeah. were integrating, connecting to the data that was captured by the point of sale systems, yep. right? The yep. data is sitting there, but it's the raw transaction data that you want, Yep. yet the reports that these point of sale systems were generating off their own raw transaction mm-hmm. detail were often wrong. Oh, Interesting because somebody had to program the algorithm Uh, or they were wrong uh, relevant to what the interpretation of what that data should be. For instance, revenue could have been, you know, give me total revenue. That's mm -hmm. all the sales that we did. Right. Well, somebody else said, well, I want total revenue, but don't give me all the sales. Give me all the sales that matter. You know, give me the total revenue that matters. So their total revenue number was, all the sales less discounts or people returning crap or yeah you know or coupons or whatever yeah so there's all there's a lot of data out there and yeah. a lot of data
1: there's this interesting company that that this kind of analogy just reminded me of they're kind of working on applying this language modeling kind of techniques and using it to query data sets so just like the very basic process of you have this like large SQL table somewhere, right? Being able to query it and say, what are the interesting transactions that have happened in the last week? Translating that actually into the specific SQL query, so code, yeah, that can then go and run against your data and come back with a meaningful result. And then, you know, automatically graph it and do all that fun stuff too.
0: Well, API yeah. development is so important yeah. too then, right? So then oh, just because a data is sitting there, how do you get to that data? Yeah. Is there an API? Yeah. Is the API... of uh, you know, a composite of the data or is it the raw data? You know, like yeah. there's so many things to, we're not there yet. We are not there yet. And the the companies I, th- so what about the companies that do open up their data, their data tables, you know, Yeah. versus the ones that say, you know, because of competitive reasons or any other reason, uh, privacy reasons, we're not going to open it up. We're going to be very controlled about what we let out there. Yeah, this, this the, the I mean these are real issues. I yeah. don't know maybe there's somebody that's going to listen and go you're an idiot because you know, but my experience is that these are real issues that. Um,
1: yeah, I mean they're 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 like the plumbing issues of yeah. figuring out how AI is really going to make it mainstream, right? And and it's kind of like the it's like the picks and shovels question, right? Of yeah, like the technology exists, but the people who are really going to make the most money out of this so-called revolution is, are, is going to be the people who are selling the picks and shovels, right? Um, like kind of like gold yeah. rush analogy. No, right? I get it, man. Yeah. It
0: wasn't the yeah. guys that were mining the gold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was the guys yeah. that sold the picks and, picks and shovels, right? Exactly. Levi's, exactly. people making the yeah. pants that they wore out. Yep,
1: exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be people who figure out how to create accessible data, right? Who can connect to the right places and kind of storytell. Um,
0: What's the unintended consequence that's going to come out as a result of this? Like, you know, I man, that's because there's going to be some unintended consequence.
1: I, I think I think it's going to change the way that we have to filter stuff that we see online. You know, I, I think this this is something that I've always you know like uh,
0: oh, is this real?
1: Yeah, is this real? Is like th- this is something where I think the the kind of younger generations. So I would say like less than like sixty Do you or consider 70.
0: yourself younger generation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So I, I would actually say people who have kind of lived the conception of the internet. Yeah. Right. Um, so I would say those people have this implicit kind of filter for what's real and what's not. Right. Like my sister, for example, right? Like she's like three years younger oh, than you, me. You. She has this like Uncanny filter. She can just like look at the post and know if this is real or not, right? And now what? What I'm kind of noticing happening is the the line between reality and and, and just yeah. completely fake stuff is so blurred. Where nowadays, like I can I I can't even look at an article anymore and, and tell if this was written by a real person or not, right? There's there's no way to know, and so maybe maybe this is like a next generation question. But are they going to have the filter the way that we had the filter for Instagram and Facebook? I, I I,
0: right. I, I don't know. I agree with you, man. I don't think they, there's no way they can. Yeah. There's no way they can. Yeah. So see that, you know, I
1: think that's the unintended consequence because I, you're yeah. not going to know what anymore.
0: Well, yeah. think about, I mean, you know, you're totally right. And what do they say? I mean, this, this is known as you control the media, you control the masses. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is totally, totally true. Like, yeah, Absolutely it's scary. It is scary. Yeah. That's probably the one thing that scares me the most or the thing I have most like fear for mm-hmm. the next generation. Uh, the kids that are being born right now is man, who is actually messaging and controlling that message. Yeah. And what's their, what's their real agenda? You know, are they yeah. all benevolent?
1: I mean, You could, you could go as far as to say you want to create a, Different reality for every single person and generate all the content for every single thing that their eyes touch and do that uniquely for every single person, tailored to that person's kind of interests and style. Well, yeah, I mean, they're doing it now, yeah, and in a a, a, crazy that's insane. They're doing it right now. I mean, you
0: know, I mean, I was with my brother the other day and we're talking about some car. Yeah, and of course you know this, right? He gets on Facebook and oh, it there's up. the ad for the car, <laughs> you know, like it's it's not like yeah. that's not gonna that is totally happening, but it's going to get worse and worse. And I think you're right. That's the blurring between reality and and f- fiction.
1: Yeah. So um, I, I guess like another thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain about here was um, trends in the ATDC companies. I touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know you've been here for what 2 3 years now 3 years 3 yeah. years um you know what have what have you noticed kind of in the in the way the climate has changed for how startups can and should start and and how it's changed especially in this last year
0: man that's a really good question um so one thing i've noticed is we're getting more and more what i would say larger companies mm-hmm applying to become members
1: interesting why do you think that is
0: um well i i think no matter what size company you are like let's when i say larger companies i'm talking you know a few million in arr you know two three four five million gotcha you know whereas before when i first joined the goal was can we get them to a million in arr within three years gotcha which It is a challenge for some companies. They Mm -hmm. they're just you know they're they they, it's either strategically or just they're just developing you know. Um, But we're seeing more and more companies who are already there, and they
1: we're trying to then apply
0: who are then applying. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, Particularly at ATDC uh, and what's going on at tech, um, you know this whole Atlanta Tech Square that we are Tech Square whatever Mm -hmm. at Georgia Tech is. There's so much going on. And so it, the, the connectivity, like why Combinator did such a great job, but the whole, whole West coast, you yeah, know, they did such a good job of building an ecosystem and they, yeah. I, I think they mean it, you know, I don't know. Um, we've been little silos here and that's, that's going away. It's now there's a value to a community. Yeah. There's much more collaborative investors are coming in. Um, th- when I first, got here and maybe a couple of years earlier, you know, there was a lot of secretive, I want to be the first guy in and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell everybody who I'm investing in, for instance, or, you know, I want to make sure I get that deal. And now it's like, man, uh, there's safety in numbers, man. Don't, don't invest in one company uh, by yourself, get, get others, you know, yeah, much more collaborative, much more ecosystem. Companies are much more working together. I haven't had anybody ask me Hey, uh, I'm going to tell you about my business, but I need you to sign an NDA. That was – everybody would say that before. Yeah, You know?
1: Yeah. That was actually – so I noticed that difference when I went to California for school. And over here, every single company that I would talk to would always ask me to sign an NDA for it. I went to the West Coast, and all of a sudden, every startup was like, "Oh, hey! Like, here's what I'm working on. Like, here's the here's the freaking code." Yeah, right. Like, they would go that deep and here. Into it I mean, and, it and, and, like and it's changed. All. It's changed a ton in these last couple of years. Yeah, that is. I've the, noticed that myself. That
0: is a huge, huge yep. difference
1: yep. that I see. It's it's sped things up too. I think.
0: And I think you know, I think that's one of the things that would that would try to work on here is, look, I don't have an agenda on a mesh. I want to help you. I I want to put your jersey on, like mm-hmm. I. I get joy out of seeing you succeed. And I think overall that's our, that's our, the culture that's here. We get joy. Like there's nothing that makes me happier than to hear one of our companies. Oh, we feel it.
1: Yeah. We feel that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's awesome, dude. I love that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's. What's, what's your, what's your vision for ATDC in the next four years?
0: Well, um, yeah, oh man, I could get in trouble for saying this stuff, but it's just kind of the way I think. Um, so we have a, for an accelerator, we're pretty, pretty, well, first of all, we're the oldest accelerator in the country. We've been around for 43 years. Wow. We've got about a four or $5 million budget. We get some grants and we get some sponsors and sh- uh, uh, sponsorships and stuff like that. But I think about it, and I'm like, okay, that's really good. That, in fact, if you were to tell a lot of accelerators that around the mm-hmm. country, they would say, "Wow, that's really good." Yeah. But I'm like, we're 43 years old, and we're at five million. We're like, why aren't we at 500 million? You know, like, yeah. So, just how do we get there? Do we get there? I think um, we can, and I think that that is a real that is a real um, challenge because we don't take equity in our companies. So we're doing all this stuff and I mean a signature company pays a whopping five hundred dollars a quarter. (laughs) It's like
1: (laughs) I still gotta pay that actually. I forgot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, man, that
0: is so minuscule. But if we deliver such huge, tremendous value, like we you know, we have to beat them off with a stick. Yeah. So it's thinking about that. It's also um, a
1: little bit of the the size of the company too, there is a consideration, right? So YC companies when they join are are, are, are tiny right it's like one person sometimes two we have working those two. On an idea well yeah but but I, th- I think ATDC at least traditionally has been as you mentioned right like the people who are applying now are a couple million in, in ARR and, and kind of the dynamics of giving up equity and stuff like that change um at that point now is that something that yeah you know, like how, how does that factor into you know Kind of becoming a part. Well, to me, to me,
0: this is the way it works. Um, First of all, our 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 branding and messaging is really not very good. Mm. Like we have so many wins and so much going on, but we don't tell that story. Mm. And Mm. I mean, let's face it, Georgia Tech is a school of engineers. It's it's, but we have a business school here, so um, a good one at that. It was a great business school. But we don't tell our story, so that's one thing that you're going to see a major change. And we've we've committed budget, and we've, we're laying out our marketing strategy and our branding. Not to brag about it, look how good we are, but people need to know the story. Um, and the fact that there are more larger companies that are applying, uh, it attracts higher quality and higher levels of investment. Yep. So it all kind of fits. You know, our companies need capital. And they're looking for, um, you know, the, the investors, the venture capitalists of angels and, you know, private, whatever, but they're looking for those people, the people with the money are looking for companies. So mm-hmm. if we have a high, uh, if we have a high quality product that we're putting out, mm-hmm. investors will be here yeah. and they are also looking for, uh, you know, it's an asset class. They're also yeah. looking for, you know, angels are looking for startups, those little one man, two man, you know, things, you know? To me, it's, it's the old, as the tide rises, all ships rise too, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to be doing a lot more where we're putting on investor events, where we're doing much more to promote our companies so that they know much more about our companies in a much more intentional manner um, than ever before. So that's, that's going to be exciting. Uh, um, Yeah. That's, that's a huge thing. There's a couple other things. We're, 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 contemplating opening up an innovation lab here oh amazing yeah which an innovation lab just by definition or just so you know there are a lot of corporate innovation teams out there and they'll spend a million a year on rent and their team and stuff like that yeah with almost no roi so we started thinking why don't we have them housed here yeah give them the opportunity to be housed here work here because what are they looking for? They're looking for relationships and pilot projects yep. for companies like yours. Yeah. You know? Like why look? They're right here uh-huh. under your <clears throat> you know, under your nose. And of course yep. our companies are looking for pilot projects. So this is like a perfect marriage. You've got your investors, you've got your innovation. Um, so we're looking at putting together an innovation lab here. Gotcha. And how's that here, which is gonna be super cool. It's like a wee yeah. workspace.
1: I'm excited. Well, can can I add one thing? Yeah, man. You can add 10. (laughs) (laughs) No, one of my favorite things of of being here at ATDC has been the community. You know, we talked about that just a second ago about, you know, the community building in Atlanta um, and Mm. also just kind of the value of community when you're building a product. But for founders and for the early founding teams, the struggles that they have are so different than everyone around them right you know i i'm thinking about like one of our engineers right like she left college recently and now is you know helping us build player zero and she's been with us you know for almost two years but yeah two and a half years now and um she you know she graduated college and all of her friends are working at microsoft and google and facebook and and she's working at player zero and her day just looks so different right? What she does, what she's accountable for and, and what she's able to be a part of is completely different. And, you know, like the, the community here, right? Of other engineers, mm. right? Of just going through something similar, of building something from yep. zero to one, right? And being a part of that, she now has someone to talk to, but all right. So last question, advice to future founders. So people who are thinking about or are building something today, What's your advice to them?
0: Um, before they start, figure out why they shouldn't. Okay. Because um, everybody will tell you why you should. Like everybody. You yeah. go, hey, I got this idea. Wow, that's great. You should go on Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. Go find the people, not the negative Nancys. I mean, yeah. but go find wise people Yeah. Um, and figure out why you shouldn't do it first. And then if you can't, then go and go all in. Gotcha. it's like, not a side hustle, not a gig. Just go in and do not stop until you've succeeded. Cuz half of making it is not stopping. You just just don't quit. Yeah. You know, if you've done your thinking, you've done your customer discovery, you figured out why you shouldn't do it um or you you can't get past you can't get a no. Yeah. Um then you just go and you don't stop. Just just don't quit. It and no, go talk to some people that have failed. It is hard. Mm-hmm. It is super hard to make it. Yeah. So are you sure? <laughs> and man, get get have wise counsel around you as you're going through this journey. You're going to make all kinds of, you're going to have to make all kinds of decisions. And if you are making them without any counsel, you are a fool. Like you are a man wise in his own eyes. A fool has a better chance than he. Like go find wise people who care about you and make yeah. sure that you're, you don't have to tell them about everything and give them, you know, like, but man, you're going to run into some, you will make a lot of mistakes if you don't, you're going to make mistakes anyway, but you can make some death killers.
1: Yeah, no, I would, I would, I would double click on that, uh, advisor thing. It's, it's one of these things that I think I just got lucky with early on. Like I I definitely was not smart enough to, to, to think about.
0: No, you were, you were so. smart enough. Okay. There's a difference between smart and wise. <laughs> so you're smart, man. You're No, smart, no, no.
1: Smart as 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 in, I, I. Maybe by virtue of going to Stanford, maybe by, um, you know, kind of knowing the right people at the right time, but just, I don't think I would have been able to build half this business without uh, having the right people around telling me every single pothole around. Well, it doesn't mean I didn't stumble into my own, but I know uh, you did, but
0: one thing I know about you, Animesh, and this is another thing, boy, um, you have to have humility, um, because humility will, that, that makes you open to the suggestions of others. Like, have you considered doing it this way? You have to be humble enough to go, let me think about that instead of, well, that's stupid. Why should I do it that way? You know, in mm-hmm. relying on, again, it's the pride of relying on your own self and you're a very humble person. I think, appreciate man, that. if you're not a humble person, oof.
1: Amazing. Well, Chris, this was, this was incredible. I, I really appreciate it.